Um, I don't know what kind of day you've been having. Uh, you've just been kind of going through a lot right now. Um, I just want to take just a quiet moment that you would just be quiet in your heart and just that you would just ask the Lord to quiet your heart and prepare your heart for for what the Lord has for you this evening. And as you're quiet and praying to the Lord, pray for me that the Lord would just uh, pour out His Spirit upon me. And so let's just be quiet before the Lord just for a few seconds and just uh, seek His face. Lord, you told us through your word to be still and know that you are God. And Lord, even right now, still our hearts that we might be able to listen. Pour out your spirit right now upon all of us. Even as you've already allowed us to worship and to honor you, Lord, help us to worship with your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> if you will, turn to um, 1 Samuel chapter 29. Uh, we will be covering verses or chapter 29 and 30 this evening. We will have one more study left um, after this in 1 Samuel. And we will finish off 1 Samuel next week with chapter 31. And then um, we're, we're going to go transition right into 2 Samuel. And I've just, you know, we, we started 1 Samuel at the beginning of the year this year. And then we, we had that 12 weeks off where we had our summer series. And then we just r- jumped right back into First Samuel. And for the last couple months, it seems like we've just been trying to cover a couple chapters uh, on a Thursday evening. Sometimes we didn't get all the way there, but uh, we've just kind of been d- trying to do two chapters at, at a time. And, and we're getting to the end here. And even as we saw last week, David is not in a great place right now. Um, it, it wasn't one of David's finest moments. He, he, he has been battling um, life. <laughs> He's tired. He, he is doubting what the Lord has said to him. And he is doubting that the Lord will come through with what he has promised to give him. And I don't know if you've ever been there before. I don't know if you've ever been tired. I don't know how long you've been walking with the Lord. Um, but there's times in our lives where, um, you know, you know that the Lord is faithful, right? You know that. You know that, man, he, is, he just comes through, man. You're like, thank you, Jesus. You know, all the time, man. And then it's a time of waiting. It's a time of wilderness. It's, time, it's a time on the run, basically escaping from life, basically. And that's where Dan, uh, David's been. He, he, he's been running. He's been a fugitive. And God had promised him the kingdom. He even sent Samuel over to his, to his father's house and he anointed him. 
And it's like, dude, you just don't do that. You don't go and anoint somebody as a priest and say, the kingdom is going to be yours unless God has sent you to go do that. And Samuel did. And David was a young man. (laughs) And it's been a long time. Over eight years, probably closer to ten years since that anointing took place. And I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. You know, please, God, just tell me yes or no right off the bat, and I will be satisfied. I will be so satisfied, man. Just tell me no even in the things that I'm asking of you. But when you tell me to wait and you want to teach me patience, it's like, I ain't got time for patience right now, Lord. I ain't got time. And that's the hardest thing. And, and, and you know, I love the fact that the Lord allowed us to see this in Daniel's life. I don't know about you, but I love Dan, uh, David. I mean, David's life. I, I love David, man. He, he is just, I love studying about him and reading about him. Why? Because I relate a lot to him because of his ups and downs, his ins and outs. I love the fact that, that he, uh, he wrote most of, or a lot of the Psalms. And a lot of the Psalms, and even as this year we've been going through uh, Psalms, um, we see a lot of his ups and downs and his ins and outs. And there's just a lot. But God has promised him something. And it just hasn't happened. <laughs> cultivating. Cultivating is a painstaking job. I don't know if you guys have ever cultivated. Not that I have a lot. We've had stupid little, like, gardens. But it's it's just the work. You know, when you're preparing the ground and doing all that stuff, it's like, don't you just want the fruit or the vegetables, like, right now? It's like, honey, let's just not do this. Let's just go to the market and go get them right now. We don't have to water. We don't have to do any of that stuff. We don't have to do any of it. Let's just go and take care of it right now. Because oftentimes, man, I want to receive results right now. I want progress now. And when you're cultivating, when, when, when God has you in that season where you're not seeing the fruit, but you're getting your hands dirty a lot, you're sweating a lot, <laughs> you're going through a lot, you know? It just seems like, Lord, I want it, and I want it now. And God's going, patience, my son, my daughter, patience. It's like, well, I ain't got time for patience, Lord, because I want it. I want it so bad. At least give me a glimmer of hope. <laughs> and so if I don't have to cultivate, then, then again, no, no problem. But, you know, even in our Christian life, there's a lot of times when we are cultivating. And, and we don't see results. And Habakkuk tells us, you know, when there's no fruit on the vine, I got to trust in you. You know, in a little bit, you know, we're starting to see this, the leaves fall. And in about another month, all our trees are going to look dead. But they're not dead. You know, there's something going on within the root system. And then by spring, everything starts flourishing again, but they look dead for a time. And so even though David's been promised the kingdom and he's been anointed king, it's been eight to ten years. And he's been waiting. For the most part, doing everything right, too. <laughs> he's been faithful. He's been truly faithful. Living worthy of his calling. Being on the run, even. And still doing what he is supposed to be doing. 
And what we saw in chapter 20, what was it, 27, he was done. He was so done. And he had gone into the camp of, of his enemy and put himself in a precarious situation, in an unstable and wobbly situation. <laughs> As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, man, he was just kind of living the vida loca. You know, he's just kind of out there living the vida loca. You know, just kind of going and doing his stuff, you know, doing his thing. But he was living a lie. That's what he was doing. He was living a lie. He was pretending to be someone he's not. He wasn't a Philistine. But he was pretending like he was. He was being faithful to the Philistines. Oh, he was doing stuff um, to the, 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 the heathen, but telling Achish, the king, that he was fighting against his own people. So we left David with being told by Achish that they would be fighting alongside each other this time. And it was no more just tell me what you've been doing. It's like, show me what you've been doing. And now David is getting put to the test. He said that he had been fighting against his own people. He left King Saul of Israel. Um, and, and now he was with the enemy. And we left King Saul of Israel. He, we, we left them when he was out seeking a witch for direction. Because the Lord had abandoned him because of his disobedience. And we're going to see how the Lord comes through for David even now. So in chapter 29, beginning in verse 1, let's just read that whole chapter. Be patient with me as I read through it. It says, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphet, and the Israelites encamped by the fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. When the princes of the Philistines said, then the uh, princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day, I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him. And do not let him go down with us to the battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For for with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David, whom they sang to one another in dance, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but da- and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright. And, in, and you're going out and you're coming in with me, in the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now 
and go in peace and that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So David said to Achish, but what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the king? Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are a, a, as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go with us to battle. Now therefore, arise early in the morning with your master's servants uh, who have come with you. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and have daylight or day light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And, uh, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So now the, the Philistines have gathered together for this epic battle. The battle lines have been drawn. Last week we were kind of looking at where they were at. They, they were up in the northern part of Israel, south of Galilee, but to the west on the other side of the mountains by Mount Gilboa. If you looked at your map, you could see that they were around the, the Valley of Megiddo area. And that's where this battle was going to take place. We, we were told that the armies of the Philistines had gathered together at Aphek. Um, Aphek, we, we had run into Aphek um, back in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. And Aphek was about 25 miles north of Gath, where their main headquarters was, the Philistines. So that's a good day's journey, maybe a little bit more than a day's journey, uh, especially with all this army. And it was about 25 miles west of Shiloh. And if you remember Shiloh, back at the beginning of 1 Samuel, that is where the Ark of the Covenant was. Now, if you were with us a while back, when we were in 1 Samuel chapter 4, at the beginning of the year, basically, uh, we heard of Aphek, and, and that's where the Philistines had beaten the children of Israel. The children of Israel had lost about 3,400 foot soldiers, along with Eli's sons. And the, 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 the Philistines at that time had also captured the Ark of the Covenant. And that's when, when runners went and told Eli that his sons were dead and his daughter-in-law was, was pregnant at the time and she went into birth. And then she dies, but before she dies, she, she names her son Ichabod, which is the glory has departed. Man, oh man, you know. Guess what? That was 90 years earlier than this time. It's been a long time. And it probably feels that way for you when I've been teaching. It's like, yeah, it feels like 90 years. Because, man, that's been a long time since we've been in. <laughs> so this is the making of another epic battle here. And the lords of the Philistines are passing in review. The, these five lords, or these five princes of the, uh, of the Philistines, these guys are the five lords, probably, or the five kings of Gath that were gathered together. And they were all passing in review. And passing in review is, is like a, a military 
uh, parade where everybody's marching in step, you know. I, I, I know that we could probably see it in movies and stuff, but, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of, you know, like the Soviets, you know, when they're passing all their artillery and all their, all, all their, uh, their, their armies and the, and the Chinese and, and even the Germans and stuff like that. That's what I'm looking at, you know, when, when they're all marching before their lords and, and their kings and, and all these things. And I'm sure we've, we do it here in our country as well. I, I just go back to those kinds of times when they're, they're coming uh, and passing in review. And as they were passing in review, lo and behold, David and his men are also a part of this review. And the lords of the Philistines were in shock to see these guys. These guys were at the rear. They were bringing up the rear, but they were also with King Achish or, or his assembly in the back. Because if you remember in our, our last study last week, Achish had said, hey, you will be my bodyguard for life. And so he had David and his men basically accompanying him and, 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 and walking a, along with him. So he is now the king's bodyguard. And this has got to be an all-time low for David. Because as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking he is, walk, he is marching in lockstep, basically, with the enemy. David has just not been disobedient or on the run or just tired of, of ministry or walking with the Lord. He has now joined the army of the enemy. And man, oh man, is that not true sometimes with some of our Christian brothers and sisters, or maybe you, it's been... You know, when, when, when you've gotten tired in the ministry or you've gotten hurt or something has happened in your life and, and you fall out of fellowship and, and all of a sudden you're just doing what the world is doing and it's almost like you start walking in lockstep with them. You're walking and you're passing a review just like David was. And if you've, you know, if you're here, hopefully you've come back from that. But when you've come back and you look back at your life, you're going, man, that was a low point in my life. Because I was doing everything that the world wanted me to do and I was marching right along with them. It's not a good place to be. David not only backslid, but he had joined the ranks of, of the enemies of God. He had joined the ranks and now he's, he's marching in a sense to go even fight against his own people. The lords of the Philistines, as they see David and his company, 600 men, they say, what the heck? What are, the, what are these Hebrews doing with us? Why are they even with us, Akesh? This was not sitting well with the rest of the princes of the Philistines. And they would have none of it. <laughs> David had totally pulled the wool over Achish's eyes. Guys, when, when we read this little portion, especially from verses 1 through about 6 or 7, somewhere around there, we, we, we see that Achish, man, he is, he is sticking up for David, man. He's, he's like, no, David's the best. He's an amazing man. And you know what? He was. But he's living a lie. <laughs> and it's interesting because this, this enemy of God is saying, no, David is like one of my best friends now. 
He is so good to me. I have not found any fault in this man. And I feel bad almost for Achish because it's like, dude, the guy's been lying to you the whole time. And it's like, David, how, how good of a liar are you? You know, it's almost like it came natural to him. You know, and again, as I think about those things, it's like, you know, we as Christians, you know, we're supposed to be upright. We're supposed to be doing the things that are, are holy and true and faithful and all these things to the Lord. But sometimes don't we get our, you know, and we get caught up in, in a situation that people at work, maybe they all know that you're a Christian. It's like, oh, you're, you're good. You're a good person. You would never do anything wrong. And yet there's times that we are so deceptive. And we know that it's wrong, but they don't know that it's totally wrong. And we're like pulling the wool over their eyes. And it's like, that's just not good. That even our enemies would go, oh, you would never lie to me. And you're going, dang, I've just been lying to this guy. It's not a good place to be. These other guys, though, maybe they hadn't been around David. They just knew who he was. They knew that he, he was not part of who they were. He was different. He's a Hebrew. He's not, he's not a Philistine. They know that. And they're not comfortable with it. And even though Achish has said, but he's my friend. I know him. You don't know him the way I know him. They're going, it doesn't matter. He doesn't belong with us. And I like, I like that these guys, they're seeing the truth about this. Like, no, he does not belong to us. He is not like us. He serves God. <laughs> we don't. We don't want that kind of guy around us. Now, it never tells us that, that David was up to anything. That he, it never tells us that he had something up his sleeve. That, man, he had already planned it out. That once they get in the middle and the heat of the battle, man, he's just going to turn. And all of a sudden, man, he's just going to kill all of them and stuff like that. But these guys are thinking that. These guys are thinking, no, he, he serves somebody way bigger. And it's quite possible that he, he is going to turn on us. These princes didn't, didn't trust David not one bit. Now, I, I don't know which is worse. Being trusted by your enemies or not being trusted by your enemies. I, I don't know which is worse. That your enemy would trust you because you've, you've deceived them in such a way. That they're going, no, you're, you're a good guy with me. And all the while you've been lying. Or, or that your enemies are like, no, man, I don't even trust you. So I don't know which one is worse there. But I do feel bad for Achish. Because he has believed everything that David has told them. Never really seen any evidence of what he's been doing or what he's been telling him. But believing him because he is David. Guys, there, there are non-believers out there that will trust you because you say you're a Christian. They will trust you. They will put their trust in you. Why? Because they know what a Christian should act like. <laughs> but he believed him because he was David. You know David. Da David the honorable man. The faithful man. The godly man. The loyal man. All the while he had truly been the lying man. Now, I'm sure that there was, there was things that, that he wouldn't cross. He, there was lines that he wouldn't cross. 
But man, oh man, just lying about this whole thing and never having remorse about it never shows us that he had remorse even in the midst of what he was doing. Maybe because he hadn't gotten caught yet. But he is now in a bad situation. Now David is going along with this whole thing. Hey, you're going to fight with us and you're going to be my bodyguard. He's going, I'm with you. And I'm thinking, David, are you sure? What's going to happen here? Because I, as I was studying this, I'm going, is he going to go through this, through this whole thing? Is he going to go through with it? Would David fight against his own people? Would he kill his own people? Or would he turn on Achish and the Philistines in the middle of the battle? It's a bad situation that he's in. It's bad enough going against what you know is right. But I think it's even worse than going through with it because you're afraid of being found out. Instead of stopping and and apologizing to the people or asking for forgiveness to the people that you've been deceiving, you're thinking, I am far, far too much into it. I have to go through with it. And I just think like, David, you put yourself in that situation. At any time, you could have just said, you know what, enough. I've been living a lie. I shouldn't have been doing this. <laughs> now, I don't know if David was aware of what these guys are arguing about with Achish. I don't know if he's aware of what's going on. But what God is doing right here at this time is totally, total grace. He's going to show David total grace here. Because David has put himself in a situation that if things don't change, he is actually going to fight against his own people and he will be killing his own people in this battle. And yet God is is somehow stepping in and not going to allow David to pay the consequences here for his lying. God is saving his bacon here, man. And I don't quite understand that because he does not deserve to be saved from the situation. Why? Because he put himself in there and he knew exactly what he he was doing. Because in those chapters that we covered last week, not once did he seek the Lord. He was tired of seeking the Lord. All of a sudden he's doing his own thing. He's going his own way. He's not even asking for direction from the Lord. And it's almost like, well, Lord, let let him pay for the consequences, dude. Come on. You know, he's put himself in that situation. And as I say that, and as I'm thinking that, I'm going, I don't want to pay for the consequence of my stupidity. I want God to save me every time. Every time I do a stupid move, a boneheaded decision, by my own doing, I want God's grace and mercy. But, God, but David hasn't even cried out to him. And God's already acting on his behalf. I'm thinking, really, Lord? You do that on on our behalf? Now, I wouldn't test him that way. I don't want to test him. And I'm not saying, hey, why don't you guys test it? See if you guys have to pay the consequences or not. And then come and give a testimony if if you have to or not. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, hey, go do some boneheaded moves and then see if God just kind of saves you. But what we see here is that he does not deserve God's grace. And yet God is going to do it. God is going to intercede and intervene in this whole situation because these guys are saying, we don't want that guy with us. 
Make this fellow return, they said. They don't even call him by his name. They just call him a, a fellow, but they know exactly who he is. The Lord is showing himself so strong in this, in this man's life because these guys are going, wait a minute, we know who, the, who he is. He's the one that everybody's been singing about. <laughs> that, that, that song that David has, or, Paul, or Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands, it was still on the top 40 hit list, man. They still knew that, and that had been 10 some years ago. That's an oldie by then. But they are still remembering that song. They know. And they're thinking, no, this guy's going to betray us, Achish, so get rid of him. Send this fellow home. And they all had a point, because it's quite possible that David, in the middle of it, could have just said, Lord, I'm so sorry, man, I got turned. But I truly can't see David, because I can't see him going through it. I really can't. These guys hadn't forgotten who David was. And so in verses 6 through 11, through the end of the chapter, it says, Then Achish called David and said to him, Ah, man, dude, I feel so horrible about this. You have been so upright for me. Everything you've done, man, has been great, man. Everything in my sight has been good. You're amazing, guys, but it's these other guys, you know? They don't trust you. And I'm trying to talk them into it, but they won't listen to me. So, David, um, if it's okay, can you just go home? I'm wondering if David in the background is going, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I mean, Jesus hasn't come yet, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> thank you, Lord, thank you. David had fooled his enemies. He had done all these things, man. And David would be indebted to these guys for the rest of his life, man. That they didn't want him around. And I love the fact that God can, will, and has used unbelievers, even at times, to take care of his people. <laughs> David, in verse 8, but what have I done to this day? What have you found in your servant? As long as I have been with you, why can't I go and fight with you? I'm thinking, man, you, you need to win an award here, man. That's some good acting right there. Because again, man, I, I have to believe that deep down inside he's going, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for being so gracious to me. And yet he has to tell like Achaz, it's like, man, dude, you know, man, I, I, I'm like right there with you, man. I want to go fight those guys because he's been after me. And, but you know what? I want to do what's right. I'll go back home. <laughs> I love it, man, because God just, just protected him. And so he should have won a good award there. But, but it's interesting at the end there, he says that he had been faithful, a faithful servant to this guy. And he calls him my Lord and my King. Or, or my Lord the King. And I like what one commentator said. Man, at this point, who was David's King? Who was, who was his Lord? What, what, was it Achish? 
Was it Saul or was it Jehovah at the time? Who, who was he truly serving? You know who he, he was serving at this time? Himself. <laughs> Himself. He was so into what was going on with him at the time. He, he was the one that was truly the king of his own life. Because he wasn't really serving anybody. And I would bet that deep down inside, he knew that the Lord had saved him. Because even though he was disobedient, there were still lines that he hadn't crossed. There were still places that, that, that he didn't want to cross. And God protected him. God had mercy upon him. He was looking out for him. And when Achish says to him, go back or go in peace, he was basically telling him, hey, you got an honorable discharge here. But for the most part, David hadn't been honorable at all. Achish was the enemy of God and he was the enemy of Israel. And David shouldn't have been there in the first place. But you see how things can get distorted when we're disobedient? Can you see how, how we can put ourselves in situations that, that, that we should never have gotten ourselves into? But because when, when things are all about us, because we're not happy, because things aren't going our way, because we're tired, because God hasn't really come through the way we expected Him th- to, in our timing, we get so bummed down, we get so into ourselves that we begin to do certain things that we find ourselves in these situations. And I love the fact that God has not taken his eyes off of David. He hasn't. And he hasn't taken his eyes off of you. No matter what you've been going through. No matter the challenges that you've been facing, the, 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 the patience that God is trying to teach you, he hasn't taken his eyes off of you. He, he, he's still on your side. He really is. And life can get distorted for us. Because all of a sudden things are happening in our lives that are like snowballing. And sometimes they're within our control, but a lot of times they're out of our control. And we didn't cause them, it just happens. And God has not taken his eyes off of you. Because David, even to this point right here, has not even cried out to the Lord. We haven't heard him cry out to the Lord. And so in chapter 30, it says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacking Ziklag and burning it with fire, and had taken captive the women And those who were there, from small to great, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned. It was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until there was no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoab, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, 
had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the souls, the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in his God. Once again, we know how God knows everything. God knows exactly what he is doing. And his timing is perfect. The sworn enemies of Israel, the Amalekites, had attacked Ziklag where they had found refuge, David and his men. While David and his men were focused elsewhere, these guys knew, the Amalekites knew that, 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 that they, they had been gone. Now the Amalekites ha- were supposed to have been utterly destroyed by Saul years ago. At the beginning of Saul's reign. And he disobeyed. And the Amalekites have continued to haunt them. And, and, and they will again. Because I'll give you a little heads up. An Amalekite is actually the one that kills Saul. At the end there. No doubt David and his men had raided some of their people, the Amalekites' people down south. And they are out to get revenge because they knew that all the men were gone. And so they go into Ziklag and they take all the women and children, everybody, and they burn the place down. It's interesting because they did not kill any of them. Which I find it fascinating because David, every time he raided some of their places, he did not leave anybody alive. He killed men, women, children, animals, everything. He took care of every. He decimated them. And it's interesting that these guys didn't do that. Again, God's grace upon these guys. Because, again, if I am an enemy of somebody who's killed my family, I'm going to go kill them. I'm going to take revenge up upon them. And yet they don't do that for some reason. And I don't quite get it. And once again, God shows... <laughs> mercy and grace on David's behalf. And it is quite possible that it is this incident, this, this time in David's life, this raid on Ziklag, it is quite possible that this is what encouraged him to cry out to the Lord and come back to God. To stop living the lie that he had been living. They had come to their lowest point right now. They were devastated. It says David and his men, they lifted up their voices and wept. And it was no little whimper. It was sobbing. It was forced crying. It was just coming out so much. They had no more tears to cry. That's how bad it was. It says that they wore themselves out, literally, from crying. And now it says that David is greatly distressed. Why? Because these people that had been following with him, had worked alongside of him, been ministering together, all these guys, they decided, let's just turn on them, let's just stone them. Let's just kill them now. Look at what you've done to us, David. And it's like, are you guys kidding me? You guys have been following me for all this time? And now you don't trust me? 
can imagine that he's going, you guys are like my closest friends. And you guys are backstabbing me right now. You guys want to kill me. You guys want to bail on me. They're going, no, we're not going to bail. We're just going to kill you. (laughs) We're going to stone you. And now for the first time in 16 months, David turns to the Lord for help. Because for 16 months we haven't heard anything about Jesus or about God in his life. For all this time he had been doing his own thing. What was good for him. He had been out for himself living a lie. And doing things that that were keeping him from the blessings of God. But now at this low point in his life, he finally hits rock bottom. There's no more strength in David's life. He has come to the end of his rope, and it says that he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And what a good place to be, guys. Because oftentimes, it's not until we're totally done (laughs) that God will finally reach and pick us up. Because oftentimes, if there's still some of you left... (laughs) If there's still strength in you, God says, well, I'll just let you go until you're totally done without strength. You know, I've heard it said that somebody who's drowning, you let them stay in there until they're about to go down for the last time. And then you go in there and pick them up. I'm sure the person is probably going like, I'm drowning here. It's like, yeah, but if I jump in, you're going to take me down with you. And I can't do that. And so they wait until the person's just like ready to get go limp and then they jump in there. And oftentimes, isn't that how far God lets us go in our own life? And that's where David is at. Nobody has any more strength because they're, they're wailing, they're crying. And David is going, man, I am so wore out. And now they, want, they have enough strength to kill me though. Yeah, they can't cry no more, but they still can pick up some stones and kill me. And David's at the lowest point in his life that he finally calls out to the Lord. And what a good place. What a good place to be sometimes, guys. I don't like being there, but it's a good place. It really is. Because if you can still manage your own affairs, oftentimes you're not going to cry out. If you still have a little strength, God's going to say, I'll, I'll wait you out. God will stay out of our way, guys. He will let us do our own thing. And all of this reminded me of the, 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 the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal wanted to go do his own thing and live a prodigal life. And his father let him do it. He didn't go running after him. He let him do it. <laughs> and it wasn't until he came to the end of himself when he realized he was living with the pigs and that his servants, his dad's servants, were eating better than he was says that he came to his right mind and he turned back to go back to his father. And I love the fact in that story that his father had always been looking for him. Never kept his eyes off of him. You know, he always kept out looking for him because when he finally spotted him, it says that he ran out to meet him. And that's what God does with us. If we want to go do our own thing, he will let us go. And you will wear yourself out. <laughs> we will wear ourselves out going out there. But he won't keep his eyes off of us. It says in verse 7, 
And then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men who were with him, and came to the brook Bizar, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and four hundred men, for two hundred stayed behind, who were too weary at that they could not cross the brook Bezor. Now, as soon as David set his face to seek the Lord and to inquire of him, it's as if he had, God had been waiting for him. God had had his ear ready for David's voice. And as soon as he cries out to him, it says that he, that he answered him. Much different than what we read about Saul last, last week. It says when he inquired of the Lord, the Lord didn't answer him. Why? Because he knew his heart. He knew David's heart. He, he, he knew that David had got himself in a bad situation, but that was his man. Saul wasn't his man no more. And I don't quite get it, man. I don't, I don't know why God answers one guy's prayer and he doesn't answer this guy's prayer. I guess I do know because he knows our hearts and sometimes he knows what we need to go through. And he knew that David was at the end of himself and, and Saul was not, maybe. But as soon as he inquires of the Lord, says that he answered him. And I love the fact that the Lord didn't say, well, 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 look who's coming and crying now. Huh. You know, I'm going to give you six months. And once I see that you're faithful, then maybe. No, he didn't do that. I, 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 I love the fact that God said, you know what, let's just start in square one again. And let me bring you back up. David picked up right where he left off with the Lord. I love that. And I tell people that have been backslidden, people that have walked away from the Lord, you know, you don't have to start a square one. You can't be born again again. You can't. You just can't. That was a one-time deal there, man. You can't go back to being a little baby in Christ. Pick up where you left off. Just start walking with the Lord right now. (laughs) And that's what David does. And I love the fact that God doesn't make him jump through all these kinds of hoops he doesn't say, well, you know what? I don't know if you're truly serious. No, he knew his heart. And so he just picks up. And, and, and all of a sudden, he's in God's good graces again. He sought the Lord, and the Lord answered him and delivered him from all of his fears. All of them. He began to lead him just like before. But for all those months, I believe, David had just missed out on God's blessings. And that's what happens when we backslide. That's what happens when we do our own thing, man. And we think that, that, that we're doing okay. We're actually missing out on the blessings of God. The Lord hadn't left David, even when David had left the Lord. 
I love Psalm 139. When David writes that, he says, Lord, where should I go? If I go, if I go here, you are there. If I go to the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the, behold, you are there. There is nowhere, guys, that you can run that you're not going to run into God. God will be right there. And he asks them, shall I pursue the troops? And even though David didn't deserve the mercies of God, the Lord shows him his mercy. And even though he didn't deserve the grace of God, the Lord showed him grace. And he says, go after them. And you will recover everything. Everything. Everything that you lost right now, you will recover it all. I love that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, some of the men were so tired from a three days journey from where they were up in the battle, coming back to Ziklag, that now they have to go about another 20 miles south to Brook, to this Brook Bezor. And some of these guys are so tired that they just can't go. And they get left behind there, 200 of them. And so in verse 11, it says, Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread to eat. And he ate, and they gave him water, a drink of water. And they gave him a piece of the cake of figs and a cluster of of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drank water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he says, I am a young man from Egypt, a servant of, the, of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I, felt, I fell sick. We made an invasion in the southern area of the Kurites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb and we burned Zeklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hand of, your ma- of my master. And I will take you down to the troops, troop. And when he had brought him down, there they were spread out, over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, neither small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and the herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, the, the, this is David's spoil. 
So we see how God just kind of takes care of David and his men, and they go and they recover everything just like he promised them. It's interesting because they had no clue where these guys had gone. And God, again, man, by his sovereignty, he allowed this young man to get sick so that he would be the one that leads them. And again, God uses every situation, man. He doesn't let a tragedy go unused. He will use anything, even this young man. His master had left him out there to die. And yet this man was not going to die because he was the one that God was going to use to take David right to the place. And it's interesting. It's like, who are you? Well, I'm an Egyptian and I'm from the Amalekites. It's like, oh, the Amalekites, you say, huh? And what have you guys been doing? Oh, well, we burned Ziklag. Ziklag, huh? Is that guy going, God, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. And they go and they recover everything. Verse 21. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow Dave, follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except to everyone's to every man's wife and children that they may uh, lead them away and depart. But David said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. Who has preserved us and delivered us into the hand of, uh, into our hand, the troop that came against us? For who will heed you in this matter but as his part is who goes down to the battle so shall his part be who stays with by the supplies they shall share alike so it was from that day forward he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel this day now Dave now when David came to Ziklag he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord, to those who were in Bethel, to those who were in Ramoth, to those uh, of the south, to those who were in Jatar, to those who were in Aroer, those who were in Ziphmeth, those who were in Estamoa, those who were in Rachel, those who were in Jeromiahites, uh, those guys, and the Canaanites. You guys try to read all these things up here, man. <laughs> those who were in Horma, <laughs> those who were in Karashna, those who were at Atak, those who were in Haran, 
and all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. Man, that was probably the hardest part of all of it. So God gave everything back to David, man. What, what, what a blessing it is, man, when you come to the end of yourself, when you realize that when you've been living for yourself, it's gotten you nowhere. When you've turned all the attention on you and not on others, the way God has called us, that you're not going to be happy <laughs> until you're back under his care. But I love the fact that God never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never turns his back on us, even if we turn his back, our back on him. He never does that. Now again, I, I don't know where you've been at in your life, but if you've had your time when you've walked away from the Lord, was it worth it? Probably not. You know, some people say, well, I was just building my testimony. It's like, no, nah, I don't want that testimony in my life. I've, I've, I've known too many testimonies that way. David is a good example for me. <laughs> he really is. He's in here for a reason. That when he went and did these things and put himself in, in bad situations, man, it was God who rescued him. He didn't rescue himself. Everything that we've read about David, whenever he was in battle, the God, God delivered him. But when he decided to escape himself, he put himself in bad situations. Guys, it's never good. It's never good. I like what, what Jesus told his disciples when many of them were following after him in John chapter 6. It says that many walked away and he turns to his disciples and he says, do you also want to walk away or go away? And Peter says, where shall I go, Lord? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. So I've come to know who you are. <laughs> and guys, my heart is, and my prayer is that that's where you would be. This world has nothing for you. It really doesn't. And you can try, and you can go, but he will not take his eyes off of you. But you will come back with some scars. And David, because of all this that he did, he, he, he was a man of blood because of that. It wasn't so much that he killed uh, Bathsheba's husband. It was all this other stuff that he did. That he had blood on his hands and he could not build a temple. God still was going to use him, don't get me wrong. But he wasn't going to allow him to build a temple because of a lot of this stuff that he, he did in this time. So let's close in prayer. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father, thank you once again for the examples that you give us through your word. Father, you have shown us time and time again examples of men and women throughout your word who have been there, who have been put there for our example. That, Lord, we would not follow in their footsteps when they decide to become disobedient to you and to your word, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here tonight, Lord. I don't know what they're battling with, Lord. I don't know if some of them are tired in ministry. I don't know if some of them are just battling life <laughs> and they're just heavy laden and they don't know what to do, Lord. And they've contemplated just going and doing their own thing. And I pray for them right now. Now, Lord, even this message would speak to them. And Father, that they would come to the end of themselves, Lord, to cry out to you for direction and guidance. And I pray that, God, you would meet them right where they're at, Lord. Father, if they're in a place right now where they're cultivating, 
If they're in a place, Lord, right now that they're waiting, Lord, please give them strength, Lord, to endure, to learn the lessons of what it means to, to wait. Lord, please, Lord, give them strength, Lord, through this time, and that they would strengthen themselves in the Lord through your word, through prayer, through fellowship, Lord. Please, Lord, I pray that you would meet them right now. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if you need